If tomorrow is the day before we think it is, are we doing what we've done before? Yes. Interesting. That's one of the many thoughts from philosopher Prince Ian Gillen. And here's another one. Hand me that bottle from under your poncho. I want to drink till I fall unconscious. Yes, I like Gillen, the band, the early, proggier, jazzier stuff, but particularly the later stuff. I don't mind Ian Gillen's lyrics. I like them sometimes. And I grew up with this band, you know, the late 70s, early 80s stuff. I absolutely love Magic, Future Shock, Glory Road. All really good stuff. And so that is why it's great to see this documentary. Now, the documentary came out in 2006 under the aegis of Angel Air and uh, Mr. Pennell from that great record company. But I'm going to concentrate not on the main part of this documentary, which is Gillen live at Edinburgh in 1980, filmed by Scottish TV, but on the bonus material, which is about 45 minutes of the band members talking about Gillen, the band and the man should be a really good ride. And it is, albeit with one gaping hole, an Ian Gillen-sized hole, because he's not part of this chat. And there is a reason for that, I think you might guess, which we'll talk about later on. But the people who were involved in Gillen, the main people who were involved in Gillen, John McCoy, Bernie Tormey, Colin Towns, Mick Underwood, they're all there, all being interviewed. And that's the majority of what you've got here. Them talking to camera with a little bit, very, very small amount of live stuff interspersed. You don't get any other talking heads. You don't get bits and bobs of TV stuff or news stuff. You don't get much authorial voice. You get a little bit setting the scene. But really, it's these people talking. And it's a bloody good job that they are so interesting to listen to. Really, what this tale is, is a story of that you hear uh, so much in the rock world and in the music world. Jobbing musicians, find a great band, achieve great success, don't make any money, suddenly it's over. That's something we've heard before, and people who know about Gillen know the music, know the story around it, know what happened to the band, know the brief brilliance of them will know that story but you know these are disparate characters who are talking to us they're not much of a muchness and that's one of the things that makes this so good because you've got John McCoy big 
bald, bewhiskered bassist who looked, as he said, so odd in 1979 and 1980. And the band looked a little bit different, and they did. He's a focal point and always was of the band. Always looked a bit odd. And you were always, uh, as a kid, thinking, wonder what he's like. He looks a bit of a bruiser to me. He's a lovely, gentle, well-spoken man who's lovely to speak to as a great manner. You've got Colin Towns on there, who's gone on to have a fantastic career um, in film and TV, music writing, real artist, wrote a lot of the music, very sure of himself, very keen to get things done. You've got Bernie Torme, who was the um, maestro guitarist, bringing a kind of punkier attitude. And as he said, well, the reason why I looked a bit punky was because uh, near where I lived, there was a theatrical costume age and they were closing down. They were selling all these jackets for a tenner each. So scraped together the money. Tenner was a lot of money in those days. Scraped together the money with my girlfriend and it was the best investment I ever made. So that's one of the things that that looked different as well. They were look like a disparate group, which worked for them at first, but maybe not towards the end to get the absolute success. But he talks about, in a, in a, in a very... Um, intelligent and very honest and open way um, with a real wryness and then drummer who was with um, Ian uh, McUnderwood in episode 6 he was with him in episode 6 he was with him right at the beginning was brought in and is a a disarming um, gentle soul again very open to talk to and it's lovely to hear them all it's lovely to um, to hear them go through. This is not a long period. This is about, what, 50 minutes? So they pack a lot into 50 minutes because you get the history of all of this. You get the albums. And some of the things you learn, certainly for me as a fan, are really interesting. So we get the way that um, the band was formed. You know, Colin Towns saying, I was never really Ian's mate. It's more of a musicianly point of view. But, you know... Um, McCoy of a different view I was Ian's mate and they felt they were mates he dragged Ian to see uh, Bernie Torme play and he didn't what he wasn't he was reluctant apparently to go and see him and then when he saw him really loved him and wanted him to be in the band they also interviewed for drummers before they brought Underwood in they inter- they, they they auditioned Ian Pace but apparently they said that they thought uh, they were too energetic and White Snake were a little less energetic so he joined them instead of course of course McCoy says well um, oh Torme says well you know they were a little bit more uh, professional I suppose and he probably knew he was going to get paid in White Snake as well <laughs> you know Gillen the band looked different the early days are different you know um, and I like that stuff the jazzier side but when they became a big Brit linked to the new wave of British heavy metal rock band. That was really something that I remember. I still love those albums. And they did look a bit different. They didn't look like other bands around at the time. They were on TV a lot, I remember. They were successful. And, you know, they, they talk about this. You know, there is there is footage of them working on stage. They seem absolutely on fire Working so well, so much energy, particularly Torme, so much energy there. 
The albums I really love, but there is a feel among the band who were interviewed that the sound generally was crap. Thin. But I never recognised that at the time. I was only young and it seemed that a lot of bands had that sound. Certainly in the new wave of British heavy metal, a lot of bands had a sound that wasn't rich. You're not talking about Queen here. We're talking about Raven. We're talking about, you know, um, we're talking about Shiva. We're, to- we're talking about Diamond Head. You know, these bands have not got the most quadraphonic sound you could possibly have. They go through the albums here. They say that Mr. Universe was done quickly, but the great thing about Mr. Universe is it was a massive success because they captured that spark, that energy of wanting to do something. But they early on, and this they'll they'll come back to later, they said, we were doing an awful lot of touring and we were questioning whether we should be doing this touring later on. The narrator, rushes in to tell us that Glory Road is excellent. I don't deny that. I think it's a great album. It really built on what they'd already done. And it's great that McCoy gets to mention, well, we did it quickly. And so what we also did was we produced another album, which I had and don't know where it's gone, sadly, a fans only album for Gillen fans only. So it had some outtakes, had some other tracks on different versions. It it, it's really quite a rarity now, you know, and it changes hands for a lot of money. And I don't know where my copy is. Yeah, not feeling that at all. It's a great album and it's lovely to hear it mentioned because it isn't often mentioned. Then we get to Future Shock, which is one of my favourite albums, which that quote comes from the, that quote, in fact, I think both quotes at the top of this podcast come from that album. It's a lovely, lovely album. Great agitational stuff. Really good hard rock. Some lovely bluesy moments. They were always bluesy, Gillen, as well as being heavy and sharp. But Torme said he felt unhappy about that album. They were knocking him out. You were going into the studio and writing in the studio. So people like him didn't get the chance to write. And that album was also remixed. They heard, they heard it, thought, that doesn't sound good, decided to remix it, and Gillen was involved in the remixing of that as well. McCoy certainly accepts that the sound is a little thin. Probably is, but it does sound very vital in that way. What we don't get is they don't talk about magic, which is probably the most assured, most rounded Gillen album, and probably the bluesiest of the, of the lot of them, which, which is... Um, which is the next album. They don't mention that because at that point, the cracks apparently start to show. They're on a weekly wage and they say, it's all provided for. As McCoy says, we trusted other people with the money. Why wouldn't you trust them when you're in a band? He also said, you know, we're touring so much. We're in different hotels every day. And you think, okay, I'll have a look at that when I get back to England. And you never do. You know, Town says that he was also frustrated musically. You couldn't always do what you wanted to. And at this point, McCoy says, well, you know, we think that Gillen probably had the deep purple thing in the back of his mind. We thought they might reform. We knew they might reform. And, you know, good luck to them. 
But also at this time, Bernie Torme started to ask questions about the finances. He demanded accounts and he gave them an ultimatum and said, I'm not going to carry on until I get those accounts. In fact, it was when they were on top of the pops. They were going to fly from, from Europe to do top of the pops because they were very successful, Gillen, lest we forget in sales wise. And he refused to do that unless he got some accounts and was told where the money had gone. That was not forthcoming. So he left. McCoy says, well, you know, we, myself and, and Mick didn't go because we trusted Ian to help us because we thought we're his mates. But then all the money had gone. We do see Torme being incredibly honest about why he went. He says that actually it was such a hard decision to make. And, you know, I probably made the wrong decision in hindsight. I should have stayed. Bought a lawyer, bought a solicitor, argued it out and then got sacked. You know, he, he at the time, he lost all those pals, those friends. They're all friends again now, but at the time, he lost all those friends. And they had to get someone else in. They put names in a hat as to the guitarist they'd like. And he said, but being democratic and Ian Gillen having the final word... What they, they, they pulled names out of the hat and some people needed paying and some people might be argumentative. And McCoy had already worked with a band called White Spirit at the studio he used to work at. So they asked Yannick Gers to join them, which of course meant that White Spirit folded and he turned up to play with them. And then we very quickly go from that because that was really the end as to why the plug was pulled. And this is the really sad time. You know, Underwood said, I was very worried about Ian at the end because apparently he had a very bad throat. Although it couldn't have been that bad because he was singing with Black Sabbath quite soon after that. Of course, he joined Black Sabbath in 83, produced the Born Again album. And the story is, well, he and Geezer and Iomi got drunk together then his manager called him the following day to say, if you're going to make decisions that affect your career, please tell me first. And he wasn't aware that he actually joined the band, but he had. You know, these are all good stories. But back in Gillen, he says, Underwood says, we came out of that one, i.e. Gillen, pretty empty. And how it happened was that they finished on a high... They were playing Wembley Arena. When they finished, McCoy says that Ian Gillen just left. He went. Didn't say goodbye. And as they're breaking up the the um, the stage set and the audio and everything else, people are starting to say, are we going to get paid? When do you think we're going to get paid? And he says, I ended up at four in the morning hiring a van to take my stuff away back home. So... He had to move all his own gear. You know, so he says that I didn't believe he could have done that to someone like me who brought his career back to life. I'm not sure that's the case exactly. And I think there's a mutual situation here. But he also says, I don't believe it he did it to someone like Mick who, who went back with him so far. In fact, he's the, the godfather of Mick's two daughters. So there is a real still sense of upset and sadness there um, McCoy 
said afterwards I didn't but for about a year I didn't touch my guitar his bass he um, locked himself away on a, on a boat and really didn't see people became a recluse and they did go on to do other um, he did go on to form other bands in fact his McCoy album is just a great piece of work and I'd advise people to seek it out eventually the last word really should go to both Towns and to McCoy Towns said that um, and it's very sweet of him to say this he said well really I feel bad for Ian because we're all still friends and he's not and we finish with McCoy saying it's great that these albums can now come out again and thank you to Peter Pennell and to Angel Air for this DVD because maybe this time we'll get paid maybe not but we might do bye bye Ian that's the end of this thing and you know we've got the band's word for it Ian's not here to put his point of view I understand that shortly after this you know Ian's bankrupt so you know all the words of well the money was going into the band touring and their view of that is well if we're losing money touring why are we touring because that's what bands did maybe there wasn't money to make there so you know we've only got the band's word for it and I don't know if this is entirely um, the case Ian's not there to put his side of the story so you know we can only say this is what the band say this is just the way they see it we need to add that caveat but this is a very entertaining view of a band who are really overlooked you know these albums they produced and the live albums but the albums they produced are just great moments of late 70s early 80s hard rock when hard rock could get on the telly you know when you've got a, a kids program which is not really a kids program but a program like tis was which has girls school and motorhead playing up with the nolan sisters you know that it's crossed over and for that brief period it really did and gillen were a part of that it's lovely to see it's great to revisit and this is a band who should be revered I think they've kind of been lost in Gillan's history and this Gillan band should be lauded if you don't know the albums seek them out if you do know the albums have a lovely time having another listen because this is four and a half out of five ramble rating because they're lovely people it's a great story well told and it reminds us of how good that music was. Ta-ta!